Okay. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. I will be reading Luke, chapter 20, verses 19 through 26. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. And so they asked him, Teacher, we know you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray. Father, I again ask for your faithfulness to the gospel, which you are always true to. You can never deny your Son and the cross. And Jesus, you'll never deny yourself. So help me as a pastor, as a teacher, unfold this text. Unfold its meaning. Unfold its application accurately. And help our hearts be moved and caught up by the Holy Spirit working these truths in our lives to the glory of Your holy name. Amen. This, this text poses these big questions to us this morning. Are we who are Christians, are we supposed to obey the laws of the state and to pay the taxes that are demanded of us? What if we don't like the government? What if the party that I have opposite philosophical positions on is the one that is in control of Congress and its lawmaking, or the presidency, or the state house. Does our paying taxes and being in submission to governing authorities have anything to do with our obeying Jesus and being faithful to God? That's the question. And Jesus' answer in our text this morning is, yes, it does. Rendering to God the things that are God's for every believer includes submission to government and paying taxes. So, let's go and slowly look at it. Chapter 20, Luke Remember the context again. Jesus has arrived into Jerusalem. This is the week of His death. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, confronted Him in public trying to embarrass Him, and Jesus turned it around on them. And then He followed it up with a scathing parable against the leadership, essentially saying to them, and in the public's eye and ear, you are opposed to God. And God is stripping you of the vineyard of His blessing. 
So let's pick up now in verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him. No, duh. At that very moment, because they perceived correctly that he told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So, they watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Point. The Jewish leadership wanted Jesus dead. But they knew they had to be careful on how they went about it because of the people as a whole. And so they sent spies. Who they sent? Who are these spies? Mark, in his account of this incident, tells us who the spies were in Mark chapter 12, verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians in order to trap Jesus. Those two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, hated each other's guts. But often, the enemy of my enemy is my friend in particular situations. The Herodians were Jews, but they were those who were in favor of Herod's rule, which he gets from the authority of Rome. The Pharisees hated Herod and all those who supported him. The Herodians, in many of the Jews' eyes, are those Jews who sold out to Roman rule over them. The Pharisees, they longed for the overthrow of Roman rule. The Pharisees wanted to get rid of Jesus because He was a threat to their religious ideas and organization. The Herodians wanted to get rid of him because he was a threat to their political stance with Rome. These two groups were sent by the Jewish hierarchy, the Sanhedrin, to spy out. And with a plan to try to trick Jesus with their question. Look at verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They weren't. So that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him over, essentially, to Pilate. Authority of the governor. And so they start with flattery. And the other accounts are really clear, and Jesus calls them hypocrites. He just hates flattery. I think any of us, if we understand what flattery is, an insincerity of people in your presence buttering you up, great sermon, or great teaching, Jesus. But behind your back, they don't think that. They say different things. He hates it. But they try to butter him up, so they ask, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly. What's funny is everything they said is true about Jesus. The point is, they didn't believe it. And, and you show no partiality, because you're going to give us the truth. Come on, give us the truth. You truly speak the way of God. And that sets up their question. And their question is meant to hang Jesus, no matter how he answers it. Yes or no? Because this tax issue, this Whole tax. This is the tax from the Roman Empire that says, do you exist? Are you alive under Roman rule? No matter where you're at, this all of you have to pay. And that was an explosive issue in the Jewish community. Because for Jews, paying this tribute tax to the Roman Empire to Caesar meant we are acknowledging once again Caesar's control and rule and domination over us, the Jews in our homeland in Jerusalem. And so, 
After the flattery, verse 22. Is it, Jesus, is it lawful for us, Jews, to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, if Jesus answers, no, no, it's not lawful. Jews should not pay tribute to Caesar, to Rome. Then the Herodians would have darted straight over to Pilate's place. Got Jesus arrested and maybe and hopefully get him executed as an insurrectionist. But if Jesus answers, yes, it is lawful, it is right to pay the tribute tax to Caesar, to the Roman Empire, then the Pharisees got their wish. We're alienating Jesus from the people. And they would spread about Jesus' teaching. He's a collaborator with the Roman Empire. How, how, how is he showing fidelity to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when these divine figures like Caesar, he says, yes, we should bow and pay tribute to with our taxes. He's dead either way, according to them. That's their trick. But Jesus was really clever. Show me a Roman coin. A denarius. Just picture it. You get, just so you, in case you don't get it, they're in the temple grounds. Massive Football stadium-sized courtyards. They're out there in the temple grounds. Jesus is teaching. He's asked this question. Jesus is Jewish. His enemies, the Herodians and the Pharisees are Jewish. His own disciples are Jewish. The crowds, they are all first century Jews who have been under the totalitarian rule of the Roman Empire for a hundred years now. That's the context of this question. And so... When we read in verses 23 and 24, but he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have? Okay, the answer to that is Tiberius Caesar, who began reigning when Jesus was about 17 years old and will reign for another four or five years. Years. It has his head on one side of the coin. But what Jesus has just done, okay, good question. Reach into your money bag and give me a Roman coin. He has just gotten them to essentially, by their act of having it, admitting Rome's rule and the legality of the currency that they made use of and benefited from. And on one side of the coin is Caesar, and underneath it said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, his father. On the other side of the coin it said, Pontifex Maximus, chief priest and the Jews Jesus is it lawful for us Jews to give tribute to Caesar or not and Jesus's answer gets at the core of how his disciples are to live in this world as subjects of two kingdoms. The kingdoms, the rules, of temporal, limited authority systems, and as subjects of the kingdom of God and Jesus' ultimate authority over all things. Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are 
gods. And they were baffled. He said to them, you live under Roman rule using the legal currency of Rome and their authority. Pay your taxes. And the Herodians would have been, oh, okay, fine with that. But for those who hated Roman rule, thought that it was an affront to their obedience to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he said, render no allegiance to any state or any man that is to be rendered to God. So you read verse 26. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. I mean, part of me just wants to be like a, a football game on TV, but we can have it here at this instance. So we can have an instant replay in slow motion. Instead of watching the guy make that catch and get his toe in, want to see the faces of the Pharisees when Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You see the smiles start to grow on their face. We got Him. We got Him. He's admitting publicly He's caving to Rome's domination over us as God's people. He admits that they are a legitimate authority and that we're supposed to comply with it by paying this tax. And the camera's still on, and then as that starts to sink into their heads, Jesus adds eight more words in English. Six in Greek. But to God, the things, meaning, meaning, that belong to God, and the smiles on the Pharisees' faces disappear. This was not what anyone was expecting in the way he answered the question. In Jesus' call, here, for a kind of an allegiance to Caesar according to his authority and ownership. He says, yes, owe it to him. But at the same time, he says, you owe an allegiance to God according to to His authority, and to His ownership. And that's the call to every one of us believers today. And so what it, what's left for us is to understand how that works itself out in our lives. As Americans, citizens of California, or for Paul or Peter, how did it supposed to work itself out for them when they were under the Roman Empire? as their authority structure. Or for a Christian who's a German living in Germany in 1939. Or for believers today in Iran or Saudi Arabia, North Korea. That's the question. What does this mean? The key is Jesus' second command. Render to God the things that are God's. There's an assumption there. that He leaves us an assumption because of the situation. But I think this is what, what Jesus would say. You don't get it? Let him who has ears to hear hear. If you don't get it, you have no ears to hear. The assumption is God owns everything. That obvious but unspoken fact is what gets Jesus out of this trap that day. But it also leads to the truth 
that believers are to be in submission to the governing authorities as an aspect of their rendering to God the things that are God's. In other words, the fact that God is the creator and the owner of everything and has all authority in the universe puts the first command Render to Caesar under the second command. Render to God. Ultimately, what belongs to Caesar belongs first and in a much more ultimate sense, it belongs to God. And therefore, rendering to Caesar what is his must be seen for Christians. Not, okay, I render to Caesar here and I render to God here. No, rendering to Caesar is seen as your rendering to God the things that are God. For Christians, getting that point is crucial to understand how we are to be those who say, Jesus is my Lord, my King, my Caesar, and at the same time live in this world where Roman empires and British empires and American governments and totalitarian regimes exist. So let's put our thinking caps on. It's probably Tuesday before his death. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Okay? Caesar's authority stood behind Jesus' crucifixion. Even though Jesus Himself was the one who had all authority over Caesar. He knows this when He speaks this. And in the days it will unfold, He will be purposefully not enacting His authority and power in subjugating His enemies. He will one day. He withheld it purposefully. This is how He said it in John 10. I lay down My life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from Me. But I lay it down of My own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. And He took it up again by rising from the dead and He declared... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means all of Caesar's authority is under Jesus' authority over it. And so, in the believers rendering to Caesar the limited things that belong to his rule, it means in all of your rendering to Caesar, to the government, render to Jesus the full honor of his absolute authority that he has even over Caesar. Jesus is demanding absolute allegiance to God. And clearly after His resurrection, to Himself. All the other allegiances or authorities that are to be submitted to in this world, all the other ones are relativized by God's absolute authority. See, those other authorities like parents 
over their children. Church leadership over the members. Husband's authority over his wife. Or citizens' submission to their governing authorities over them. All other authorities are subordinate under Jesus' ultimate authority. And thus, they are to be submitted to because of the authority of Jesus. Those subordinate authorities in the world, like Caesar, are ultimately owing to God's authority. Do you remember the conversation Jesus had with Pilate? Okay. So one of the governors sent by Rome. Pilate says to him, well, Jesus is standing there all bloodied. Do you not know that I have authority to release you or to kill you? Crucify you? Jesus finally spoke. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. He just said Pilate did have authority because God gave it to him. Jesus affirms the legitimacy of civil authority, such as the Roman Empire. It is legitimate, but it's not absolute. It's given by God. But it is not God. That's what he says. Now, did Jesus really understand who Caesar was and how the Roman Empire functioned? Did Jesus not comprehend the inequality that was embedded in the Roman system of class? Did he not understand there were those in the Roman Empire who had citizenship and thus they had civil rights? And the majority of people under Rome did not have personal civil rights? Did he not understand that slavery was legal? When he said this, he knew all of that full well. Well, then isn't it a really dangerous thing for Jesus to say, render to Caesar the things Caesar demands? He demands a tax, pay it. Yeah, it's dangerous. I think though at the core is for those who are His, Jesus understands something that is more dangerous than that. And that is the deception of our own sinful, rebellious human hearts that want to make any excuse it can. And it may be the flesh speaking and cover it with religiosity so that I don't have to obey this or that law. He knows the great danger of saying, submit to governing authorities, render to Caesar. But He knows something more. The great danger to our own souls. The pride that loves to rebel against authorities. He knows that from his time and now, from his point from then, the future, the last 2,000 years, that there are no governments, there are no states, there are no dictators, there's no system of authoritative civil rule over anybody, even with its cruelty and unjust laws that has ever sent anybody to hell. But he knows that the arrogant, dependent pride and rebellion 
in the heart is what sends everybody to hell who does not have the Savior. So, in saying, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to render to God the things that are God's, Jesus is saying that those subordinate authorities in the world like civil government are ordained by God. They're ordained by God first for this reason. To show they are all subordinate. God is to be rendered everything that's His. And everything else comes under that. Even your submission to the lesser authorities that He ordains. And in your submission to any authority, to your parents, to leadership in a church, to governing authorities, you never render worship or glorification of those authorities, but in your rendering to those lesser authorities, you are always rendering to God what is God's, which is to glorify the glory of His name. And secondly, it is this constant check on our lives, children, with your parents, obey your parents in the Lord, or governing authorities, to say, are you being righteous in denying a submission here, or are you really giving room for your sinful nature in denying submission to civil government? And so it's there. What I want you to do now, if you have a Bible or one of those little clicker phone things, flip over to First Peter. Chapter 2, and I want us to just very read slowly and listen now to a few decades later where God gives this to Peter to say to the entire church, and he says it to all of us who are church-going, professing Christians, starting in verse 13, 1 Peter, chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So honor everyone. Love the brethren. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What is stunning is that as Peter was penning those words, the nuttiest and most evil emperor in the history of the Roman Empire was sitting on the throne. Nero. And under Nero's leadership in the Roman Empire, within a couple years, Peter and Paul both will be legally executed by the state when he wrote that. But you see, if you read it carefully, Peter's main point here is not about governing authorities. But it is about Christian living to God in this world. Notice it again, verse 13. Be subject means be in submission. Here's his key words. For the Lord's sake. That's his point. Be in submission for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor or all his legates down the road. Christians are not to submit simply because they feel like it. Or because they're afraid of guns and imprisonment. He says Christians are to submit to civil authority because of their walk with Jesus. 
for the Lord's sake. For the glory of the Lord Jesus reflected in our submission. That is, we do it in some sense from the motivation of honoring, not Nero or Sacramento or law enforcement officers, but for honoring the name of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, for the Lord's sake. Peter is making the same point that Jesus made. While we are in this world, we are citizens of two realms. This world's systems and the kingdom of God. And those two systems of authority are not equal. Render to Caesar a pagan ruler, Jesus says, some kind of honor which is shown by forking out your hard-earned money in giving taxes. And render to God everything. So that's what He says. Submit to governing civil law. Authorities. For the glory of God. Okay, now, okay, but then why does he do that? I mean, why does he give parents to help raise kids up in the name of the Lord? Why does he give civil authorities? Okay, subservient to that ultimate thing to glorify God in your submission. Why? He answers the question, that is, Peter answers the question in chapter 2 of 1 Peter in verse 14. Just see, listen to it. Let me just start again with verse 13 and get the flow. Be in submission to for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him. Okay, now notice, now comes the purpose clause. Why are there emperors and governors as sent by him? Purpose. To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, I want you to turn for a moment to Romans chapter 13 so that we see how what that just said there and what I've been trying to say for the last 23 minutes is clear in the New Testament. Starting with verse 1 of Romans 13, Paul now writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for, in other words, or because there is no authority except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. And therefore, he's going to draw a conclusion from that statement. Whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur or bring upon themselves judgment. For, he's going to argue, he's going deeper now, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. The government authority. For He, that is, civil authority, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Because He, that is, civil law and law enforcement, does not bear the sword in vain. For He, civil government, is the servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For 
Because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are servants of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Okay, Paul just started off the beginning of chapter 13 and said clearly, there is no authority in existence except that it has come from God. Men, human beings, did not create the idea of human government. God did. He sustains it, He sets it up, and He tears down particular governments when He so chooses. And yes, governments take your money with a gun pointed at you or the threat of imprisonment. Yes, governments have been known and are known and will continue to be known as doing themselves evil. Like crucifying the Son of God. Or putting to death legally the Apostle Paul and Peter for their religion. But none of that is an argument that civil authority is not God's instrument to govern in this sinful world until Christ returns. Alright. I could end it. <laughs> that would make a really lively home group, I know. Okay. Just let that sit. If I'm wrong, let me know where I'm wrong about my interpretation of Jesus, Paul, Peter. Okay. Now, having said that, here's the reality. Millions of Christians throughout history and many Christians today live under governments that forbid them to do what God commands. And command them to do what God forbids. You ever read Fox's book of martyrs? Written in the 1500s, so covering the first 1500 years of Christians being put to death because they refuse to deny their allegiance to Jesus. And most often they're put to death under civil and or religious governing authorities. So, for instance, the Bible says, do not forsake, Christians, your gathering together in local churches as believers on a regular basis. Don't do it. So if your authority, like your husband, tells you, no, don't do that, hmm, what do you do? God told you to submit. We'll get there in a second. You don't obey that lesser authority if He's telling you to disobey Christ. Or, gather together in meetings and you live in North Korea or a few other Islamic bloc countries that make laws that forbid you to gather together for worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many Christians live in that situation. And here's the point then. If you're living in that situation and governments are commanding you to do something, God clearly, meaning biblically, com commands you not to do, you've got to rebel. If they forbid you to do what God biblically, clearly commands you to do, you've got a choice now between two competing authorities. For if John Bunyan, if you ever read The Pilgrim's Progress, living in England, Great Britain, 1600s, he did not go to the university. He was a tinker 
In his day, I didn't have toasters, but he fixed toasters and stuff. He didn't have the paperwork to be ordained and thus have the legal right to preach according to the governing authorities. And so they said, stop it or else. Well, he says, I'm not going to stop it, so I'm going to have to take the or else. And he did, and he suffered years in prison. And he promised, if you let me out, I will continue to preach in barns or wherever I can find a place to preach. Just being an obedient Christian can be a transgression to civil authority. So then what are we to make with this and everything else I said in the first 38 minutes of this sermon? And that is this. Even though God said submit to men governing authorities, He does not mean obey those authorities when they forbid you to do what I, God, clearly, biblically command you to do. Or when they command you to do what I biblically and clearly command you not to do. Why? Because I feel like that? No. We got Bible examples of God's people refusing to obey civil laws and being praised for instance, Exodus chapter 1. The edict of the Pharaoh, that means the civil law was clear for you midwives. Kill the Jewish baby boys. And they were praised for refusing to obey such a law. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, bow down and worship this idol. Wait a minute, we can't do that even though they worked in government. We, we're not going to do that. It, but they were willing to pay the price and be thrown into the fire. Daniel himself. Nope, that I can't do. He's also a government employee. Can't do it though. I'm going to pray to Yahweh and break the law. Praised for it. You turn to Acts in the New Testament. Peter, James, John, the apostles are brought before the religious ruling authorities and they say to them in the council, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood, Jesus' blood, upon us. But Peter, the guy who wrote what we just saw in 1 Peter 2, but Peter and the apostles Answered. Hmm. Now we got a choice. <laughs> we must obey God rather than men when they are in competition. And so the principle is this obey laws, pay taxes that the civil government demands, except when they command you to break. God's commands. So, if you're living in Nazi-occupied Poland in 1943, and now the governing authorities over you have a law. Do not hide Jews. The Christian is to pray for strength and courage and break the law and risk their lives and hide Jews. When Peter and Paul both write, governing authorities are there to punish evil and to make really good places for those who are not evildoers or do good. Praise the good. He doesn't say and doesn't mean those governments decide what's good and what's evil. No, 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 no. What is good and what is evil is objective because there is a God who declares what's good and what's evil. So when government powers do themselves blatant evil or command people to do evil, believers should nonviolently 
disobey. So if you're living in the South in the 1950s under Jim Crow laws, you see the injustice, you see the kind of system you live in, we can get these things to the court, we can get knowledge of it. So if your name is Rosa, you get on a bus, but you don't get on a bus with a gun strapped to your waist so that when the bus driver tells you to move to the back, you shoot him dead. You don't do that. You know this is an unjust law. It's a law. I understand the consequences like Paul would do too and go to jail. I'm go- I will take the consequences, take me to jail, and they get the ball rolling. If our government, which it very well may do, faster than we imagine, legislates laws in the health care system where gynecologists, physicians must, if you want to practice that way, must perform abortions, if you're asked, that Christian physician should disobey the law and take the consequences and have courage to do so. If our government, if our state, and ultimately federal government, and it's not too far away, it's already happened in Scandinavian companies, make laws outlawing the spanking of your children, I will disobey that law. And as a pastor, I will publicly ask you to disobey that law. Now, with that said, civil government is there, ordained by God, to hold back the flood of evil that flows from the human heart so that it does not permeate the world in anarchy. Now, trust me, even with totalitarian, vicious regimes, you have a choice between anarchy or that kind of a government. If you knew what happens every time governmental systems fall down where there's any population of people, you will beg for a government. Rwanda, 1990s. Okay, I want you to see one last thing. If you're still there, in First Peter. Having said that now, okay, in verse 16, Peter says something to us. Not just this, here's your principle, here you do it. He says, okay, here's how you go about this submission. Here's the way. Here's the manner in which you submit. Chapter 2, verse 16. Live as people who are free. I'm going to stop for. I just. I didn't. Oh, I don't. Do it in 20 seconds, Joe. Can't go. You remember that when Jesus says, "Peter, go get a fish with a hook in there." You remember the. You know what Jesus said? Are we supposed to pay taxes, Jesus, or not? He says, "Look, do, do the children of the emperor and the rulers do they pay taxes?" Evidently, in their culture, the answer was no. <laughs> then we're not submitted to that as God's children, are we? But nevertheless. In this world, because we're free, we're going to pay our taxes not to show an offense. There's something about, I think, what Peter's picking up here. We're free! The the ruler of the universe is our daddy! Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up or an excuse your evil but living as servants of God in other words because we might think that at times there's such extensive and stupid laws and submission that's demanded of us Peter's warning is this though you are free from the world systems and government but because he says you're a holy nation that's the context you're God's own people you're priesthood you got it and that's what flows into this text with Peter He says, don't let your sinful nature deceive you and think you can spurn the revealed will of God in this text about being submitted to government government authorities. Don't abuse the truth, Peter says, of your freedom in Christ. 
and use it as a covering or an, an excuse for evil lawbreaking. That's what he says. As a cover-up for evil. It means deep down in your hidden sinful desires, fellow Christians, that's your real motive. Could be. So you've got to check it. No, I don't pay federal income tax because it's unconstitutional. Maybe somehow you got to that place where you're really sincere and that's a righteous rebellion. Okay, then be willing to go to jail and everything. Okay, but watch it that it's really not a cover-up for selfishness. I want more of my money back. I'm going to make Christian excuses or constitutional excuses. That's what he's warning about. Don't just watch it. Just make sure it's not a cover-up for evil. We don't submit as slaves to civil government. We submit as slaves to God, which now frees us to obey Him and render to God the things that are God and thus render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Let me just sum up this, this whole thing I've been trying to say. Here's the reality. We who are sinners who have come to faith in Christ, it's because of the mercy of God has come upon us and we've been born again He has pulled us out of the kingdom of darkness. And He's put us into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of light. And He leaves us here. In mortal bodies, in this present, broken, sinful, evil age. He leaves us here for a time with all of its governing institutions. But He leaves us here as free in Christ people. Citizens of another realm. That's Peter's whole context. You're aliens in this world. But He says as aliens in this world, yeah, you do live by other doctrines than the world's. You live by higher values than this world and its nations and its cultures. As Romans 6 says, we no longer live as slaves of sin and of guilt. We no longer live as those who love to do evil and love to rebel. And so now in this present time, we have a submissive attitude to civil law, which God ordained to punish evil. But we submit freely as to the Lord for the glory of the Lord. Not because we're afraid of authority, but gladly for Jesus' sake. And at the core of government, our hearts say, yes. It's a good thing we got laws against murder and burglary and contracts with one another. Good! Let's do right! I like that. Come. Jesus says to us, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. Jesus' words here are a gift to all of us who are believers. They're a gift to remind us to fight against our innate anti-authority spirit that is at the core of the nature of all of us as sinners. And to live free. Free in Christ. And thus to render submission where submission is due to the glory Father, I love, I love texts like this on one level. And from a fleshly level, I know how they hit me. And, and that's why on a deeper level, I love it because it confronts my rebellion. But I love it most of all because it shows forth the gospel. It shows forth the truth. 
that you have rendered unto that man, Jesus from Nazareth, by virtue of his death and his resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth. And it is to him we owe worship, adoration, praise, and glory, and to none other but because of him now and our worship and our adoration and our submission. We find it a joy to demonstrate His kingship in our submission to lower authorities for the glory of His name. Work this in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds, and wrestling with how it really works out in particular situations. For the glory.